Yes. Welcome to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Through storytelling and conversational interviews, this weekly radio show offers listeners firsthand insight in starting and running a business, the ups and downs of risk-taking, and the commonalities of successful people. Connect with Carrie through her candid, often funny, and informative weekly blog, where you'll read and comment on life as wife, mother, daughter, and entrepreneur. And now it's time for Carrie McCoy to get all up in your business. Thank you, Jason. Like Jason said, I'm Carrie McCoy, and it's time for me to get up in your business. My guest today, Reverend Susan Sims Smith, is teaching the world love and acceptance for all religions and cultures through her work at the Interfaith Center in Little Rock, Arkansas. Her belief in a higher power has guided her in all aspects of her life, and creative is what she was when in 1999 she reinvented herself and left the comfortable and successful practice as a Jungian-oriented psychotherapist and became an Episcopal priest, co-founding the House of Prayer at St. Margaret's Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Today we're going to hear about her extraordinary story. She has prayed with Tibetan monks, resided in India, I think she said something like 15 times she's visited, she is going to explain how we can listen to our soul through our dream work and explain the commonalities of all religions and how they can live together in perfect harmony. Thank you, Sir Paul McCartney, for that quote. Get a pen and paper ready. You may want to take some notes. It is a pleasure to welcome to the table the worldly, reverent, intelligent, and lifelong seeker of truth and happiness, Reverend Susan Sim Smith. <laughs> Sounds like I need a... Volkswagen van with some happy things painted on the side of it, doesn't can, it? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I know. You know, the Buddhists have an interesting concept called merit reduction. Called what? Merit reduction. Okay. And so each day, a devout Buddhist, if they have done something that makes a positive contribution to society, they pray that any merit that might come to them for having succeeded that that gets converted to the energy of prayer for people on the planet who have no one for whom to pray for, have nobody that will pray for them. So they take any merit of their success and transform it and send it out to humans that have nobody praying for them. Here's a wonderful explanation of merit reduction or merit transfer. So what exactly is transfer the merit and how we can do it? So to think about merit, it's a bit like the good points that we accrue through our practice, through a series of good deeds, or it can be understood as a protective and beneficial force that accumulated through practicing good deeds, uh, such as our spiritual practice, our dharma practice, by reciting sutras, mantras, practicing niyam for, by saving lives for animals, all this will help us to accumulate good merit, good points for our spiritual advancement so we are more closer towards awakening. So when we transfer the merit of our practice to others, they will also obtain the benefit of our practice. So in the Siddhagava Sutra, it told us that if, say, the total benefit of our practice is seven, and if we dedicate this merit to others, then the other person will receive one-seventh of the benefit, and the giver will retain the rest. So don't worry about losing anything by transferring our merit to others. Uh, the metaphor of this is like we use a candle to light other candles, uh, whereby the first candle will not diminish in any way. So really the more we give, the more we will gain in return. So any merit from anything that I've done that we might talk about, let's just set the foreground before we get started that that energy is going to get transformed and become prayer for 
people that are isolated or lonely or afraid or ill, and we're going to we're gonna send it that way. I don't need to build merit. That's supposed to be bad juju in Buddhism, although I'm Christian. So I don't need to build up any merit. Whatever merit I have, I need to give it away and send it out to people that need it. Is Buddhism a religion or is it a practice? It's both. It's definitely a religion, and there are particular practices in the different types of Buddhism that are... Uh, committed to by the practitioners. So then I want to say one other thing, because we're going to be talking about success, how do, how people become successful. That's one of the things we're going to talk about, I mm-hmm. think. Yes. So I have a really close friend who's the executive director of the Interfaith Center. Her name is Sophia Saeed, and she's Muslim, and she is a Sufi Muslim, and she's very, very involved in meditation and prayer and uh, interesting spiritual practices. And she teaches me that in Islam, if you have succeeded at something, you thank God for three things. First, you thank God that God asked you to do that service because God could have asked anybody. Yeah, for the opportunity. Right. So the fact that I had the opportunity to help start the House of Prayer and the opportunity to help start the Interfaith Center the first thing is to thank God for giving me that opportunity. And then the second thing is you thank God that God created you in such a way that you had the capacity to say yes to the opportunity. The talent. And that's the third thing is the talent. But the second thing is God put inside you the willingness to say yes. And then the third thing is the talent and the ability to do it. So when Sophia is talking about a service project that she and I are working on, which we do a lot, uh, we always sit and do those three things. Like we will just get so excited that we had the opportunity to do this project, that we had the willingness to say yes to it, and that then we had the capacity to pull it off. And then all of that gets converted back to the divine. So it, it means we're small. We're I think of myself and Sophia and others that are in the service business, as you are at this moment with this show, I think of us as temporary service delivery units on the planet. Good quote. We are temporary and we are service delivery units. One day this last week, I was doing my meditation and I saw, you know, an outside water hydrant has like a round thing that you turn to get it to go on. This was a big one. Mm -hmm. And in the silence, I was told to turn that thing. So in my meditation, I turned this huge faucet, outdoor faucet, and I heard, you are to be a gush of goodness to this earth. And I think that's what we're all supposed to do, to turn on the faucet and open up and let the water of love flow through us to be goodness for this planet. And it's a really fun job. It's ridiculously fun. My husband says, just don't pay these people to let you do this. (laughs) Like you are. (laughs) So how do you hear when you're in your meditation and you hear that you hear that? Mm -hmm. How does it come to you? Well, it doesn't always come. Like this morning, I got up early, and my little six-month-old grandson has been visiting me. And uh, I heard him while I was doing my quiet, and I didn't hear any little messages from the other side because I had a little earthly angel to go hold. So it's not uh, a guarantee that I'm going to hear anything every day. But I've been involved in meditation. I'm, I'm 68. I've been very involved in meditation since I was 29. So I've been at this a long time. And I usually get up really, really early in the morning and have quiet time then, 30 minutes or an hour or longer of meditation. And I have a spiritual teacher in India, a Hindu man. And he's he asked that we, before we meditate, that we take two showers, that we what? wear a white cotton outfit, that we wrap ourselves in a white cotton prayer robe, that we crack a window, even if it's 17 degrees below, so that the outside air is a tiny bit in the room. And then I do a, a, a prayer process before I start meditating. I go back through everything that happened to me the day before, and I 
pray through the day. If I had like a mean thought towards somebody or a negative reaction or uh, any reactions of the day before, I kind of clean up the day before, before I start the meditation. And then I put a tablet and a paper, I put a paper and a pen beside where I'm praying. And then I just go into the silence. And sometimes the silence is with no words. And it's just uh, enough peace and enough fullness to help you navigate the day. But sometimes it's actually a message, ideas that come or thoughts that come. And I can tell you more about that later because that is how I ended up meeting the Oracle of Tibet and how the Interface Center also got started through a whole bunch of meditation stuff. And, you know, I'm happy to give some specific examples. I can do that now. I can do it later. But that's my personal meditation practice. And sometimes I do it later in the day, too, but definitely early in the morning. Do you take two showers every morning? I do. That's why she looks so good. (laughs) No, I look so good because my husband that I've been with since we were 16 and 17 and I adore each other. That's why I look this way. It's there's a lot of love going between these two people. You're both were practicing. a psychiatrist? My husband's a psychiatrist, yeah. He's you the chairman psychi- of the Department of Psychiatry at the medical school and the institute director. So he's leading, you know, the psychiatric program at UAMS. But we've been together since we were kids. And you were a psychologist. I was a psychiatric social worker in private practice for 25 years. And happy, uh, I didn't have a boss. And when you become a priest, you have a boss. Is that God or is that somebody? Or is that, that is that the bishop. Bishop, okay. That was, was, is that a real guy? Is that a real boss? Okay. I had this beautiful psychotherapy office. I made a really good living. I had complete autonomy and total independence. But through a series of about two years worth of dreams, I was called into the priesthood. I was not sitting around thinking about becoming a priest. But that happened through about two years' worth of dreams. And finally, the dreams got so specific and so clear, I would have had to have an IQ of 27 to not understand that God was like, we're like redeploying you, lady. You're going to be moving. Tell us real well actually we're going to take a break it's time to take a break when we come back i want you to tell our listeners how those dreams came about we're going to talk about dream study okay and then in the second group we're going to talk about um about this interface work that you're doing okay so we're going to continue our conversation with the reverend susan sim smith founder of the arkansas house of prayer and the interface center at saint margaret's church in little rock arkansas we'll be right back after the break you're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagandBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, starting from door-to-door sales, then telemarketing, to mail order and catalog sales. And now, FlagandBanner.com relies heavily on the internet and live chats with customers all over the world. Over this time, Carrie's business and leadership knowledge has grown. As early as 2004, she began sharing her knowledge in her weekly blog. In 2009, she founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, and in 2014, Brave Magazine, a biannual publication. Today, she has branched out into podcasts, Facebook live stream, and YouTube videos of this radio show. Each week, you'll hear candid conversations between her and her guests about real-world experiences on a variety of businesses and topics that we hope you'll find interesting and inspiring. Stay up to date by joining FlagandBanner.com's mailing list. You'll receive our Water Cooler Weekly e-blast that notifies you of our upcoming guests, happenings at Dreamland Ballroom, sales at FlagandBanner.com, access to Brave Magazine articles, and Carrie's current blog post. All that in one weekly email. Or you may simply like FlagandBanner.com's Facebook page for timely notifications. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags. The FlagandBanner.com. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the Reverend Susan Sims Smith, co-founder of the Arkansas House of Prayer and the Interface Center at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Before the break, we talked about uh, how you pray thanking God when you've had uh, a great day. We talked about merit reduction, what this show actually is about today. It's all about the good news that we're paying forward for all of those other people that don't have anybody praying for them. This show is really about the merits that we're sending forward to them. For their benefit. For their benefit. Thank you, Mm -hmm. Susan. 
Um, I went on your website. We're going to talk about dreams before we start talking about the Interface Center and the uh, different types of religions because what you're doing around the world is fascinating. So we're going to talk about that in a little while, too. But first, I went to your website. If you want to go online and learn about Susan Sim Smith, there's a lot of stuff online. She's got her very own website, um, just susansimsmith.com. And it said, and one of the tabs across the top is Dreams. And I clicked on it, and it said, Dreams are God's forgotten language. Dreams communicate the needs of the soul as participants prayerfully seek God's guidance to live their lives. The rich spiritual discipline of understanding dreams and seeking to live in harmony with the messages they bring can enrich lives with comfort, challenge, that's what you had, and practical solutions to problems of a daily of their daily life. Talk to us about dreams, why they are important, and how that dream got you to be a priest. Well, dreams are really, really exciting, and there are different types of dreams. So one type of dream is uh, giving us information about things that were going on that day. And sometimes dreams confront us. Let's say I've been to a dinner party and I talked too much and did not share the conversation and didn't really express interest in other people. I might go to bed that night and have a dream about a vampire. So that would be that every part of the dream is part of us. Do I usually act like a vampire? No, that's not normal for me. But I could have been off center one day, and I could have been sort of selfish at the com- in the conversation. And if so, I'm going to get confronted about it that night. So every part of the dream can be looked at as, as a symbolic part of the self. That's one, about 80 to 90% of the dreams are that. So you're talking about archetypes within ourselves, Right. Parts of the self. So if I'm being too hard on myself, see, in that dream, I wouldn't be being tough enough on myself because I would be unconscious that I was stealing too much of the conversation. So I have a dream about a vampire. Unless I am being too hard on myself, I might have a dream about this wonderful beach bum that's doing nothing but having a delicious mimosa by the edge of the ocean if I need to lighten up on myself. So the dreams are seeking to rebalance our energies. Sometimes we have dreams that are very, very spiritual dreams, and sometimes we have dreams that are direct guidance and direct information. So I spent seven years studying dreams with a world-famous analyst in Toronto, Marion Woodman, and I commuted to Canada for seven years and did a -a twice-a-week dream thing with her by phone. So the great majority of dreams have to do with your interior world, but occasionally the divine will come through and give you a specific message in a dream that is not about your personality or your psyche. So an example of that would be before I went to India the first time, I would I was dreaming at night the word Pondicherry. And usually my training is that all the dreams are symbolic. So I kept thinking, what is Pondicherry? Eventually I Googled it and it's a town in India. And then the next night I dreamt go go or forever hold back your choir of angels and your joy. And I thought, oh my gosh, the universe is sending me to India. Why why would I go to Pondicherry, India? So I started Googling that, and I found that there's a very famous ashram there and two spiritual teachers, Sri Aurobindo and the mother. And although they have passed away, their followers are there. So I got on it. I made a reservation in this ashram. I got on an airplane. I went to India. I spent two weeks in this ashram. I studied all this incredible material that changed my life as a Christian priest. And then I'd been home about three months. I'd fallen in love with Pondicherry. I'd made friends. About three months later, I began to dream Mysore, India. Ashram, ashram. I had heard Mysore, and I Googled it, and what came up was a photo of a 76-year-old man who's a spiritual teacher in Mysore. And I said to my husband, I have no idea who this dude is, but look at his picture. He is full of the truth and of love. And that night, I started dreaming, run to the big guy as fast as you can get there. 
And so I got another plane ticket. I went to that ashram and I have a relationship now, a lifelong relationship. And in my opinion, even past this life in my next life relationship. So this is a Hindu spiritual teacher who believes that if you're born into Christianity, you stay as a Christian. If you're born as a Buddhist, you stay as a Buddhist, you don't convert. But he's teaching me spiritual practices that deepen my ability to find the love of Christ in my own life. So I work with him. He's come to Arkansas before. I I go to visit him. So all that material came in dreams. Uh, The first really big life-changing dream that I had was about 27 years ago. I started dreaming that I was living by a river with big clay bluffs. And all of my psychotherapy training is to interpret that metaphorically. The river is like the water of the unconscious. The bluffs are like close to nature. I continue to dream the same thing. And uh, then I dreamt the downstairs floor plan of a house and I showed it to this realtor. We were trying to buy another house and she said, you're not going to live in that house unless you build it. And I wanted to live near Hillcrest. So I thought, well, I can't build a house in Hillcrest. Anyway, eventually I dreamt that there was a subdivision off Riverfront Drive. And I said to my husband, is there a subdivision off Riverfront Drive? And he said, yes. So we went down there and I stood on an empty lot looking at the exact view that I'd been dreaming for two months. And we ended up building a house that has really changed our lives and been a huge blessing. And we did it with the floor plan that came in my dreams. And then I was told your experience in building this house is going to be a permanent reference point between you and God because you didn't believe you could build that house. You didn't understand it in the beginning. And now every time God starts to give you some really far out bizarre idea that you need to go do X or Y, you're going to remember what happened with you in that house. So that is what started to happen with me with the priesthood as I was doing more and more dream work with people in my private practice. And when you listen to people's dreams all day, it's like having your finger on the pulse of their soul. It's like cheating as a psychotherapist. It's like having an MRI. It makes therapy so easy (laughs) because you can see exactly how the divine is guiding that person. And so I was deeply involved in kind of spiritual and psychotherapy stuff. And I started dreaming at night again and again that... A dog sometimes is a symbol for the priesthood because a dog, a sheep dog, guides the flock near the shepherd. Oh, so Christ oh. for me is the shepherd, and the the sheep dog is the one that tries to keep people near, tries to keep the sheep near Christ. I kept dreaming a million times about the sheepdog. And then I would dream about a chalice. And then finally a client showed up in a dream and said, you're leaving your psychotherapy office. And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, yes, you are. You just don't know it yet. And I would I would dream about seminary. Eventually a bunch of junior high guys with M16s showed up in my dreams saying, we're going to take these M16s and chase you out of your office. You got to get out of here. So eventually the last dream that I had when I finally called my husband and said, you know what, I think I'm going to have to go to seminary, is my husband's grandmother that I adored showed up in my dream. She said, you have three choices. You can stay home and be a doctor's wife. You can take this trunk and travel the world. Or you can take this little silver plate. In Christianity, it's called a patent. And you can serve the bread of Christ to people. And I say in the dream, I want that patent. I want to serve God's love to people. And I woke up thinking, gosh, I guess I'm going to have a new job here. (laughs) (laughs) You fought it, though, didn't you? No. I mean, I didn't want a boss, and I didn't want a cut and paycheck, and I didn't want to leave my gorgeous office, and I was happy and doing a good job. How old were you when that happened? Well, it was 20 years ago, so I was 48. That's a weird time to be changing careers. It's a weird time to be changing careers, but it's turned out to be a wonderful thing. And so after I'd been in the priesthood for maybe six or seven years, I saw a photograph on the cover of a magazine of a round meditation room and I said to my husband Little Rock needs something like that and then I couldn't sleep for two nights at all I was just like we got to have this Rick said well you know if you had the money to build it where would you put it I said well there's five acres of land next to St. Margaret's he said you can't just do something at St. Margaret's you have to get the bishop's permission you have to get St. Margaret's permission blah blah anyway a group of people came together and helped me raise 
$1.3 million to build and endow an interfaith meditation center. Now, it took years for us to raise the money, and a lot of people worked on it, but we now have had, we have about 160 or 180 people a month that go out there for silence, and this is our 11th year of operation. It's free, so we do programs all year about teaching people about silence. We teach children about meditation. We teach teenagers. We teach we teach atheists, agnostics, people of every religion. It's, so it's a it's a place for everybody. It's a safe place. It's a safe place. So that program is just going along really, really well. And on one of these trips to India, I was up in the Himalayas. I was studying at a Buddhist monastery. And I was awakened in the middle of the night, and I heard a little voice that said, wake up, and your whole life is going to change. This was seven years ago. And my first thought was, oh, my poor Again. husband. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> like, you know, she wakes up, and she, what did she dream last night? Oh, we're going to move to Arizona and raise llamas. He's like, ah! <laughs> so I'm thinking, this is, this is not going to be good. And so I do. I get up, and I hear, get up and pray. And it's 3.30 in the morning. It's dark. It's cold. It's sleeting outside. My room is not warm. But anyway, I get up, put on all the clothes I have. I do my meditation. And deeply into it, this is not a split second. This is not something that just happens immediately. But this is a long siege of praying. I hear evil has gone into all the world's religions, and it's teaching them to hate and fear each other. We need you to start an interfaith center to reduce the hatred and fear among the religions. Go talk to Chris Keller, who's a priest, who's a buddy of mine. And I'm thinking, what? Another project? Yeah. And then I just keep doing the prayers, and the same little voice says, what were you planning to do with the rest of your life anyway? I was thinking, well, like, maybe retire yeah. or <laughs> read a book. And I didn't. I knew a little bit about interfaith work, but not a lot. But the message was so clear. We are asking, this is work that needs to be done. So I go, I come out to Little Rock, I meet with Chris Keller. He says, I'm running this project for the church. It has four goals, da-da-da, and the last one is interfaith, which I did not know. Mm. And he said, if you will start something for interfaith, I said, Chris, if you'll help me find enough money for a part-time secretary, I will do it. And he and Julie said, let's get started. So then I got a part-time secretary, Sarah Catherine Gutierrez, and we started researching what's being done in interfaith work, reading about it. And we started doing projects. The first thing we did is we had a thing called Let's Pray. And we had a Muslim, Buddhist, Jew, and Christian teach about meditation. Then we started having Sophia Saeed and I started doing a thing called Muslim Christian Dialogue. And we would go to the mosque. We would go to the synagogue. We would go to Christian churches. We would talk about what does Christianity have to say about violence, about women, about different issues. And now this thing has evolved. We have Sophia Saeed as the we now have a full time director. So this is the second nonprofit that has just taken off and. I'm now in the background. I'm kind of an advisor, a consultant, but Sophia Saeed is really running this thing. Sophia Saeed has been a program guest on Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. Here's how she described the work of the Interfaith Center when she was here. So, interestingly, Interfaith Center is actually a product of um, several people working together to promote peace in our community. What we do is we try to reduce the fear that exists between different religions, the prejudice that people of different faith feel towards each other. And as you know, I don't need to tell you that it's increasing because of the current social and political environment. So what we do is we try to bring people of different faiths together under one roof, normally where they wouldn't find themselves, uh, help them connect with each other, learn about each other's faiths, uh, learn how to respect each other's differences as well as the commonalities and build relationships with each other because after all we're all living in a nation which is highly diverse not only racially but also ethnically religiously and if we don't know how to live with each other like if we don't know how to uh, have interfaith cooperation then we cannot work effectively with each other so it increases our own uh, productivity it increases our impact on the communities to learn how to coexist. And that's what Interfaith Center does. 
We have a thing called Friendship Camp. We have 53 children from all the world's religions that do a week camp every summer. We already have parents calling us. We can't take any more kids. I love that. We already have parents. So one day they study Christianity and like... Uh, this last year, they did a Christmas pageant, and we had Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu kids fighting over who's going to get to be Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. They do it in costume. Mm-hmm. And the other day, they studied Judaism. Another day, and, but they they enact some kind of celebration every day. They do something for poor people. Every day they sing. Every day they do drumming. Every day they do stuff outside. And every day they go study theology of their own faith tradition and come back and teach it to the other kids. It's a number unbelievable thing. We have a multi-faith youth group. We have a teenage group that's, they meet twice a month. Once they help poor people a month, once they talk about their own theology and how they can understand each other's religions, they eat pizza together, help poor people and talk theology. You're changing the world. Well, uh, Sophia is doing a lot of it. I mean, I'm at this season, I'm in the background. Thank goodness you listen to your prayers. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with the Reverend Susan Sim Smith, co-founder of the Arkansas House of Prayer and the Interfaith Center at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. And if you're a couple in need of a little guidance in our last segment, if we get a chance, we're going to give you tips and resources for helping your marriage or your relationship grow. We'll be back right after this. We know you probably see a lot of videos during the course of a week, but you've probably never seen one like this. Subscribe to FlagandBanner.com's YouTube channel and see flagpole climber Robert Ray, one in a million. He recently climbed one of our customers' flagpoles in downtown Little Rock simply to fix a broken pulley that a bucket truck couldn't reach. Our team was there to watch this rare sight, and as Robert ascended, the excitement was thick. Check it out and see all the other tutorials and videos on the flagandbanner.com YouTube channel. You don't want to miss a thing. Flag and Banner is proud to underwrite Up in Your Business with Carrie McCoy, where listeners are offered firsthand insight into the humanity and commonalities of successful people shared in a conversational interview with Carrie. Along with this radio show, FlagandBanner.com publishes a free biannual magazine called Brave. First published in October 2014, Brave magazine harnesses the power of storytelling and human empowerment. The Department of Arkansas Heritage recognized Brave magazine's documentation of American life and microfishes all editions for the Arkansas State Archives. Subscribe to this free periodical by going to FlagandBanner.com and selecting Magazine. Back to you, Carrie. You're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and I'm speaking today with the Reverend Susan Sims Smith, co-founder of the Arkansas House of Prayer and the Interfaith Center at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. Before the break, we were talking about prayer work and the different types of prayers and how Susan has followed her prayers and is a serious meditator. And then we also talked about how she left practice as a psychotherapist to become a Episcopal priest, and now she's continuing to do her soul-searching and and has started the Arkansas House of Prayer and the Interfaith Center. And we're going to continue talking about that. So if people want to listen to their dreams, which there is the one where we're the archetype in the dream, and that's the 80% of our dreams are us being the archetype in our dream. And you go in and you look at it as that person in the dream is you. Yeah. And what is that person trying to say? Yeah. Then there's the ones you get from the divine or from the universe. Some direct messages. What's the third one? Mm-hmm. There's another kind of dream that's sort of debris of the day dream. Let's say I'm driving an old red Volvo and I've got my kid and a dog in it and I'm in a hurry to go to the grocery and I hear this kind of little weird noise. I think, eh, it's probably nothing. And I don't really want to pay attention to it. I might have a dream that night that something's off about my car. So I've picked up some little piece of data in the daytime about everyday life that I haven't wanted to pay attention to. So it can debris of the day, different parts of the self, and the others are just more kind of direct, straighter messages. And sometimes one dream can be all of it. 
Oh, really? Do you keep a piece of paper by your bed and you, the minute you wake up, you write it down? Yeah, that's the easiest thing. I keep a dream journal. Yeah. Do you ever go back and read your past dreams? Oh, every January I read all the dreams of the year. I've done that once already this year and I'm going to do it again in a couple of weeks. Yes, what do you I've, find out about that? You kind of see the themes that your soul and the divine are working on over a year. They're working on certain themes all year. The amount of dedication and work you put into knowing yourself is astounding. It's fun. It's a recreational activity. My husband used to say when I was in private practice that all my hobbies were tax deductible. (laughs) I don't understand that. Well, I would go to this workshop and that workshop and this class and that class and then whatever I was interested in, you know, there you're a psychiatrist who's interested in it. That's true. Do you want to hear something about the Oracle of Tibet? Absolutely. Okay, so I have a good friend who's a Buddhist monk who runs a really unusual orphanage. Sometime he comes to Arkansas once a year. He's in India. So when he comes sometime, we'll get him on the show. But anyway, oh, that'd be fun. I, was, I was with him on one of these trips to India, and he said, how would you like to meet the Oracle of Tibet? I didn't know who the Oracle of Tibet was. And I said, okay, yeah, whatever, let's do it. So this monk is a friend of the Oracle of Tibet. So... The Dalai Lama has had an oracle give him advice since he was 19. And the oracle goes into a trance and dances and prays and meditates. And the Dalai Lama sits there and asks him questions and it gets written down. And in the Dalai Lama's autobiography, he says, people ask me, why do I still use this ancient, unusual divination practice? And his answer is, because since I was 19, the oracle has never steered me wrong, period, ever, about anything. So that's who this man is. He's the Dalai Lama's oracle. And he has his own monastery in Dharamsala, India. Here's the Dalai Lama's monastery at the top of the mountain. At the bottom of the mountain, the oracle has a monastery. Fifty-six monks live there, and their only task is that they pray and chant for the protection of the world. They are protection mantra chanters. That's their business. They're in the protecting the world business. Okay, so I was in Dharamsala. I was there with this buddy of mine. He says, let's go meet the Oracle. I had two other girlfriends with me. So we go meet with this incredible man. And after we talked to him for quite a while, I thought, well, I have my iPad with me. I bet he would like to see a picture of the house of prayer. So I pull it out, and he looks at it, and he says to his assistant, go in the next room and get the drawings. And the assistant goes in the next room and brings out a gigantic roll of the most gorgeous architectural drawings. And he says, Spirit told me, told him, I'm supposed to build a round meditation center for all the religions in Mongolia. And he showed it, it with the exact same mission statement as the Arkansas House of Prayer. And I'm going, da 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 And for some unknown reason, I say to this very high-level man, when you get ready to do that project, if there's anything I could do to help you, I would be happy to. And I remember thinking, what in the world could I do to help this man? But anyway, I didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. About two or three years later, I was at home with a broken bone, and I couldn't, like, run around and do all the stuff I usually do. So I used that time for a lot of quiet. And during all that meditation time, I kept seeing this man. His name is Kutunla. And I kept seeing his architectural drawings, and I kept feeling like spirit was just hammering on me to go back to him and offer to help him. So I thought, that is so ridiculous. But I've had other ridiculous things happen. So I got a buddy, and we crafted an invitation. We invited him to come to Arkansas and visit the House of Prayer and see if there's anything I could do to help him. So four or five months later, he came, and he brought eight Tibetan monks They did some programs for the Interface Center. He spent a lot of time in the House of Prayer, and I had meetings with him. And he said, Spirit has told me to build this building, but I've got so many projects. And he said, you're standing behind me, tapping me on the shoulder, Mm -hmm. reminding me I need to do this. And I said, how can I help? He said, you can come to Mongolia next summer and meet the Mongolian people and let them meet you and tell them what all, all of you all have done in Arkansas and see if you can help me build interest for what we're trying to do. So the following summer, my husband and I and a photographer went to Mongolia for Kutama's 60th birthday celebration, and I met with the leaders there. Now, the thing that's interesting about Mongolia is in the early 1900s, 
Thou, Stalin killed all the people that were of any religion in Mongolia got murdered. And then the Chinese communists kept it up until 1991. So the people that I met all have family members that have been murdered for having any religion. So if you had a cross, you hid it under you or you were going to get murdered. So it's only been a democracy since 1991. It's one of the world's fastest growing democracies. And part of the ways it part of the way it can stay a democracy is to have freedom of religion so that mm-hmm. the people can worship if they want to worship and don't have to if they don't have to. So mm-hmm. anything that's done that strengthens their opportunity for faith. So since it's so new to be able to practice your religion, there's almost nothing going on interfaith. Everybody is just barely getting a chance to pray mm-hmm. their own prayers. But Kutenlaw, the oracle, was told that he's supposed to build an interfaith center for silence. So uh, he said, this Buddhist woman is the leader in Mongolia, and if anything is going to happen here, it has to happen through her. So I ended up getting to have a lot of time with this amazing, amazing woman who is going to help open the doors. And so now Kutenlaw has bought the land. The land has been purchased. Two of his monks and I have been commissioned to do the development materials to raise the money to build the building. I will go back to India and meet with him. I will probably go back to Mongolia. He's going to come to the United States for about a month, and I will travel with him part of that time, and I'll tell what's happened in Arkansas, and we will see if we can find donors that will help build the building in Mongolia. So you've brought the oracle to the Dalai Lama to Little Rock, Arkansas. (laughs) Yeah, I did, but, you know, spirit did it, and merit reduction, you know. I mean, let, let the good of that go back to people that need blessings, but that came out of a broken bone and a lot of time sitting in quiet and praying. So it's fun to listen to all this stuff. Speaking of different religions, I Googled it up before I came on, and there are, Christianity is 2 billion people, a little over 2 billion. Islam, I guess that's Muslim, right? Mm -hmm. It's a little over 1 billion. Hinduism, not sure what that is. I don't know the number. It's one, but it's it's one billion. I'm not sure what that religion is. is okay, that, is I can that, tell about it a what, little bit. And and then the other the others are all millions. There's the Chinese, the Buddhism, mm-hmm. the African, the indigenous, Judaism. Oh yeah, Judaism. Um, so I thought it was interesting that there there are that when I read the numbers of, of the people that are religious and then their sect, and then I thought about how many people were on the earth. There are 7 billion people on the earth, Yum. and 5 billion of them identify themselves wow. in a religious... It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And we know so little. Like, uh, when I first started the Interface Center, I did not know very much about Islam. And I was going to be teaching a class on an experience that I'd had in meditation with Christ. And my Muslim friend, Sophia Saeed, said, I would really like to come. And I said, Sophia, I hate for you to come because I don't think I'm going to feel very free to talk about Jesus. And I just don't want to step on your toes and blah, blah. And she said, why do you think that I don't love Jesus? And I said, well, you're Muslim. And she said, we absolutely adore him. And we teach our children that he will come back someday to save the planet. And that when our children, if our children are alive, when he comes back, they are to leave everything they're doing and go to Jerusalem immediately. I said, what? Why did nobody tell me this about Islam? So we have a lot of ignorance between our religions of who believes what and who's against which person. And and so the terrorists that we have are not really Muslims. They're, they're violent, renegade people that are co-opting words out of Islam to do the bad stuff they want to do. But if you meet a real Muslim like Sophia, who is filled with love and who has a tender love for Christ and a, a big heart for humanity. So in the interfaith work, a lot of what we do is understand our misconceptions of each other. Mm-hmm. And the, there's Christians exactly like that, too, exactly. that are renegades. That Absolutely. Use, I think the KKK was a Christian-based. Yes, and, you know, we have Christians in Uganda that want to kill gay people, that believe that that's the right thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the Christians in the Crusades murdered all kinds of people all over Europe. So we have people in every religion that use the language of the religion for purposes of violence. And that's not the heart of any of those religions. 
I want to tell everybody that you're listening to Up In Your Business with me, Carrie McCoy, and that I'm speaking today with the Reverend Susan Sims Smith, co-founder of the Arkansas House of Prayer and the Interfaith Center at St. Margaret's Episcopal Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. I want to make sure before the end of the show that we talk about uh, the Christian principles that help to strengthen a marriage, such as unconditional love, forgiveness, and the sacramental nature of marriage in itself. Um I told everybody that we would talk a little bit about how to strengthen your marriage and that we would give them resources to do that. You said your marriage is great. Well, we put a lot of work in it. Tell us how you did it. Well, we say, uh, how do you stay married to the same person forever? Oh, it's easy. All you have to do is renegotiate everything forever. (laughs) So whatever agreements you you made— Life changes, you change, we mature, we grow, things happen. As long as you're willing to, you know, we tease and say, we've had three or four divorces. We've just remarried the same person. We haven't had any legal divorces, Mm -hmm. but we've had several marriages that we needed to totally revamp. So it's a process. It's a journey. and, And there's still no guarantees. So if we have needed couples therapy, we have gone to somebody, we've gone out of state to study our own marriage with Hal and Sidra Stone on the West Coast. We've brought couples people here. We've uh, we was, spent, was that the focus of your of your practice well, when you were I, in practice? Probably I did probably half of my time doing couples therapy. So communication is part of it. Being willing to get therapy if you need it, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Listening to each other, forgiving each other, confronting yourself. Like, I don't really think that I'm a very crabby person, but I bet you Rick can see me being crabby at times. (laughs) And I bet if I'm unaware that I'm being crabby, then I'm probably being self-righteous instead of crabby. And I could have a dream about that that would show me you're actually being pretty ornery and you don't even know it. So one of my sub-personalities that gets overly organized, Rick calls her Tilda Smithwick. Oh, she's he's named her. Yes. Thank and, you, and Tilda. she's kind of a jerk. And so if, if Tilda is out, she's trying to get everything organized because she's busy. So you laugh, you tease, you talk. And Rick and I work on our nighttime dreams together two or three mornings a week. I'll say, did you have a dream? Did you have a dream? We try to listen to what's going on in the unconscious. So... You know that there's a wonderful woman here named Dr. Chelsea Wakefield, who's the director of the new couple center at the Psychiatric Research mm-hmm. Institute. She's written some great books. She's doing incredible couples therapy, and she is training couples therapists around the state to do better and better work. So we now have like a world-class couples program. Let me, let me see what this caller is. Caller, are you on the air? Yes, I am. Thank you. I just wanted to... That is great. Thanks, caller. Thanks for calling in. Um, that's a great point. Thank you. I'm glad to. I'm glad he called. 
So you were going to say we could also go to uh, for couples therapy. Well, let's talk about all the different ways that we could that people can learn from the three different things we talked about today. The, the first part we talked about was dream work, which I think is fascinating. And I wrote down a few books that they could use there. And you can get this at flagandbanner.com or you can go to susansimsmiths.com's website. There's dream. There's a book called Dreams, God's Forgotten Language. I saw that on your website. There's one called Memory, Dreams, and Reflections. There's one called Inner Work. And then all the books by Marion Woodman. Mm-hmm. You recommend all of those for yeah, learning how to they're, do your... They're just wonderful resources. Also, I'm pretty sure this is on my website. There are 56 lectures from a dream a series of dream conferences at Canuga, and they're all on dreams. I did a bunch of them. They're free, and they should be on my website. Oh, good. 56 audio lectures about listening to God through your dreams done by a whole bunch of different people. That sounds so wonderful. So they should be on the website and those books. That's wonderful. And then go to the House of Prayer and learn how to meditate. We do programs off and on all year about how to meditate. We have a new labyrinth. We're going to do a program on meditating by walking in the spring. And then uh, go to the Interface Center website, get on our email list. We do programs all year. The end of the year letter for the Interface Center should be on that website. And when you look and see what Sophia and the volunteers have done in the last year, it's kind of mind-blowing. Right. And then we and then you've got um, the workshops center. for the kids for the Interface Center, too. Right. And then the Couple Center at UAMS. And the Couple Center at UAMS. And for the Couple Center, we have some great books uh, that were on your big book list. One of them by the Dr. Chelsea Wakefield, who's been on this show, who's at UAMS, and it's called uh, In Search of Aphrodite. I've actually read that. It's great. There's one uh, called Embracing Each Other by Dr. Hal and Sidra Stone partnering by them also and uh, the seven principles of making a marriage work so all of that also is on i think your website's where i got those from and we'll have it at flagandbanner.com i have a gift for you where'd i put it anybody see it it's been fun to be with you all thank you susan Mm -hmm. oh there it is Look, it's Ooh, all the it. it's a, it's a flag. Oh, I love it. It's really wonderful. It's a desk set with all the different uh, countries that you visit it. and where you go and Thank religion. You so much. You're welcome. And this I left a, it. And the base has got a few extra holes so that when you keep travel, <laughs> we can put some more flags in there. Thank <laughs> you go. so much. It's beautiful. Thank oh, you so much for coming you. on. I love the opportunity. You know, it really is just like I said in the e-blast I sent out. When she speaks, mm-hmm. she's like E.F. Hutton. When she speaks, people, people listen. listen. They really well, do. Thank, <laughs> you for, thank you for having me and for all the volunteers that make all every project I'm involved in is just infused with love by a lot of hardworking people. That's because of you. Well, that's because of the spirit that's behind me messing with me. <laughs> thank you, spirit, for yeah, messing thank you, with spirit. I just want to thank you again for being here with us. And if you've got a great story that you would like to tell me, Jason's here to tell you how you can send me your entrepreneurial story. If you have a great entrepreneurial story and would like to share with Carrie, you can send a brief bio to questions at upyourbusiness.org. That's questions with an S at upyourbusiness.org. Message on flagandbanners.com Facebook page or make a comment on our blog. That's it. And last to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. If you think this program's been about you, you're right, but it's also been for us. And it's also been what kind of a program today, did you say at the very beginning? Merit reduction. It's also been a merit reduction program today. Thank you for letting us fulfill our destiny. Our hope today is that you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening, and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of flagandbanner.com. If you miss any part of this show or want to learn more about UIYB, go to flagandbanner.com and click on Radio Show or subscribe to her weekly podcast wherever you like to listen. All interviews are recorded and posted the following week with links to resources you heard discussed on today's show. Carrie's goal is to help you live the American dream.